Welcome to Sermons from St. David's, a ministry of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, Michigan. It's a chance for us to share a good word of challenge, inspiration, and hope as we walk the journey of faith together. You're welcome to join us on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. for live in-person worship. You can also join our 10 a.m. Eucharist via Zoom. Just go to our website for the meeting ID and password at stdavidssf.org. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, let your will be done through us. Amen. I want to tell you a story this morning, a story about a man named Joe Leader. And Joe Leader graduated from engineering school. And his main objective when he did so was to help him pay, was to find a job that would pay back his student loans. Anybody else have that objective when they graduate from college? So what Joe did is he went to a job fair. And he went to the job fair, and he, interviewed, he found a company, the New York Transit Authority, and he interviewed with them, and he got hired. Joe got hired by them, and then he went out onto the subway lines, followed the repair crews, he helped the engineers with their improvement plans, and this piqued his interest. He thought, you know, this is really kind of a cool job. And his interest over the years kept growing as he was given one assignment after the other. And over this time period, Joe no longer began to look at his job as something that was just a paycheck. But he started looking at his job with different eyes. He began to say, you know, as I work here on the subway line, I'm beginning to see that I'm responsible for moving people every single day. There are people depending on me to go to work, to see their family, to visit friends. And that's a big responsibility. Well, you can imagine that such care and interest led to promotions for, uh, for Joe. So that today, many years later, Joe Leader is the senior vice president of the New York Transit. He's basically the lead engineer of the busiest subway complex in the country. He oversees about 1.7 billion with the B trips Per, uh, per year. They use 469 stations and laid end to end the tracks that he oversees could go from New York all the way to Chicago. Talk to Joe today, years after his student loans have been repaid, and he'll admit that his opinion of his profession has drastically changed, that the paycheck is no longer the main draw on his work. And today, his credo is this, put people before stuff. Put people before stuff. That's our sermon title today, and I realize it's Christianity 101. As you and I consider the words of this morning's gospel, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We all get that. This is basic stuff. When pollsters ask people, to, can, do they, you, you consider your job a vocation? Well, if you ask a, a teacher or a nurse or a clergy person, a high percentage of those folks will say, you know what, I consider my job to be a vocation. But to affirm our work and calling is to make that connection between what we do on Sunday and what we do Monday through Friday. What would it look like for you and me to consider what we do as more of a service to others than a way to make money? What would, how would we do that? And how would that affect our performance and our happiness? 
It is to see the unique and even divine purpose that we have as we design cars, as we raise children, as we tend to coffee customers, or whatever we do to channel our talents into the world. So I have a quiz for you this morning. Who famously said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself? But yeah, I know you heard the saying. Anybody remember who said it? I'm sorry? FDR. FDR, very close. It was a Roosevelt, but it was his cousin, uh, Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt, who famously said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And it was more than 100 years ago when President Roosevelt had a comment on this morning's text. I mean, it's important to read commentaries, not just by theologians, but by people like Teddy Roosevelt. He said this, happiness lies not in the mere possession of money. It lies in the joy of achievement and the thrill of creative efforts. The joy and moral stimulation of work no longer must be forgotten in the, in the mad chase of evanescent prophets, means vanishing prophets, as our true destiny is not to be ministered to, but it is to minister to humanity. Put people before stuff. In the face of an ever ambitious society, which is rigged to pursue the shallow promises of happiness through wealth, you and I must keep our wits about us and not be taken in by the hollow promises of a life filled with more stuff at the expense of addressing the needs of others. We all get that. And this is where I think we go off the rails as individuals and as many experts warn, it's a way that our society, our American society may go off the rails as well. Did you know that the income gap in America has now reached staggering proportions? I'm sure you've read a lot about it. Have you noticed how the plutocracy is amassing unprecedented wealth? Probably, here's a statistic. 1980, who was alive in 1980? One or two of us. 1% of the wealthiest Americans took home 12% of the wealth. Okay, that was what, was it 20, 42 years ago? So 1% took home 12% of the wealth and the bottom 50% took home about 22%. Well, today, 42 years later, those numbers are reversed. So today the top 1%, they're taking home around 22% and the bottom 50% are taking home about 12%. Now this is a staggering trend and it would be different if it was decreasing, but it's not, it's increasing. And by the way, to get into the 1% in America today, guess how much money you have to have net worth? Who's gonna take a guess? What's the top 1%? How much do they have in the bank? Now that's what, what is America? 3. 365 million people? Okay, so 3.6 million people have this much in the bank. Guess how much? A million? What's a billion. Oh, okay. No, no, not that high. A billion. No, 14 million. So to be in the 1%, you have to have 14 million in the bank. Two-thirds of those folk are Republicans. One-third are Democrats. And none of them are looking to lower their taxes. Okay. Or excuse me. To jack up their taxes. Right? Um, and so speaking of taxes, rates uh, for the rich remain historically low. Our government for some reason is unable to impose proper taxes on the mega rich, such that many of them boast of paying lower taxes than their secretaries. So if these wealth gap, wealth gap trends continue to rise with the economy benefiting those who need it least, experts warn that we may see a change in our societal order. Democracy may be threatened as those who have the money may find ways to alter things so that they can keep it. Stay tuned. I'm obviously no political scientist, but these are trends that are happening and I think have to do with what you and I 
with how you and I consider the verses before us today, how different it would be if we put people before stuff, how different it would be if we would put people before stuff. We were talking in our nine o'clock class about uh, the, the number of people in our world who live in garbage dumps, right? Around the world, you go to poor areas in highly populated Mexico City and India, et cetera, and people make their living there. What would it look like if we put people before stuff? Did you notice the curious way that Jesus asked you and I to consider the word greed this morning? Now, Jesus asked us to be on guard against all kinds of greed. And I looked at it and thought, isn't there just one greed? You know? But when you go through the Bible, the Bible really shows us that there are about four different kinds of greed that we must be on guard about. Well, because when we, and I'm gonna mention the first one, which is probably gonna hit you. The first one is hoarding. And that's of course collecting more than you need. This is the rich guy who pulled down his barns and put up bigger ones. The second one is comparison. This means getting things because other people have them. A third is entitlement, which, believing, which is believing things are owed to you that you believe are yours, but they're really not. And the fourth is overspending, and that is acquiring things that you can't afford. Go into a little depth here. Many of us think that uh, of greed as just this first kind, somebody who, who gets a surplus, and instead of thinking about others, they, they, they think of themselves, they choose to hoard instead of share. And we think of ways that you and I do the same thing when we get a surplus. Because I can't really go through those verses and say, oh, greed, that's those other people. I have to say, where is greed in my life? And so I have to ask, what happens when I get a surplus? Do I remember charities when I get that tax refund, right? Oh, I'll give a tithe off of my income, but when I get that bonus check, right? What about when we get an inheritance or some other sort of bonus? How are we thinking of charity? How are we remembering others when those things happen to you and me? When somebody comes to us and say, says, your land has produced abundantly this year. I think greed sneaks up to us when we play the comparison game as well. Now, this game tries to convince us that our identity rests in what we do, in what we own, in where we live, in who we hang out with. Are we the prettiest? Are we the strongest? Are we the most popular? Are we the most powerful? And it urges us to take steps to achieve these worldly goals, to make us greedy for the things of others, which can come into direct competition with the spiritual goals that Jesus asks you and me to strive for. Of course, we need the approval and praise of others. We are hardwired evolutionarily to, to seek it. We want to live in community. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. But we, we realize it gets us off the couch. It gets us into the game. But Jesus asks us to anchor our identity, not in other people, but in him. We are pretty enough because God has made us. We are powerful enough because God is our strength. We are rich enough because our contentment rests in God. Are you content? I'm going to ask you a question. Are you content Then you're rich? That's what being rich is about. Now, I think it's a fair guess to, to look at those one percenters, right? Those 3.6 million of them who have $14 million in the bank. And I would guess one of them is not content. I'd argue that they're not rich. If all your money still has you unhappy, you think more is going to help, right? Finding our contentment in where we are. Christians are rich because we put our trust in God, in the Prince of Peace, who reminds us 
that all will be well in his loving hands. Many of us came to church this morning worried about something, discontent about something. But we are rich folks as we put our trust in God. As God assures us that all will be well, all will be well in all manner of things. To quote a famous saint, all will be well. How can we better anchor our identities in Jesus? How can we make his assessments of our situations our assessments? Many times we look at something and, and I bring my wisdom to it, which is, I don't tell you guys, is very limited, okay? Instead of taking God's look at it. You know, God says everything's going to work out. God says walk through life with a light step, with joy. They'll know we're Christians by our love, often by our joyful life. How can we better let go and let God? Important question. I spoke with somebody the other day who says it takes five generations for an immigrant to become an anti-immigrant. In other words, when my forefathers and mothers came to this country from Canada, from Poland, from Switzerland, and were so happy to have the opportunity to live in the United States, land of the free, home of the brave, it will take five generations for their progeny to decide that immigrants should not be welcome as their ancestors were. Entitlement, another form of greed, the third form. And immigration, one way we see it manifested, especially in people who were or whose ancestors once were immigrants and have this change of heart. Entitlement says others shouldn't have the same chances, the same opportunities, the same privileges as I do. As we know, this goes against the Jesus way, which reminds us that God created us all as equal. And the founding fathers putting that right in our constitution, basing it on God who created us, that God loves all people. This God reminds us that mercy, compassion, and love are the most effective weapon against the entitlement form of greed. So in what ways does entitlement rear its ugly head in our lives? In what ways might we consider ourselves better than others? And how are we excluding others because we think we are better? Well, on the occasion of yet another of his corporate takeovers and the massing of even more wealth, the oil man, J.D. Rockefeller, was asked, how much is enough? To which he famously replied, does anybody remember? Just a little bit more than I have right now. That's enough, just a little bit more than I have right now. And this is at the heart of this fourth aspect of greed, which is overspending. Overspending is a signal that we don't feel that we have enough when we look less at what we have, and the more at what we don't have, that's when we fall, fall prey to it. When we look more at what we don't have and less at what we have. You know, the other day, my three-year-old asked me, he says, Dad, can I get another dump truck? Now, this is a three-year-old that was 47,000 dump trucks, okay? Dad, can I get another dump truck? And I told him, I said, wait until we get to the vacation cottage because we have a whole slew of toys, including dump trucks there only sees those once a year. And lo and behold, in rediscovering something he already had, he says, wow, Dad, look at all these trucks. The best way to get what you want is to want, want what you got. We soon realize it is enough. It is enough. In what ways is our overspending a signal of our discontent with what we already have? St. Paul writes famously, be content. Have enough food in the fridge. Have a roof over your head. Many of us could, could, instead of counting sheep, we could count our blessings, put us right to sleep. How might we begin to consider enough is enough? That's an important question, I think, for all of us. When is enough enough? 
How is God calling us to spend within our limits? Credit card debt is a big deal in this country. Overspending. How can we say enough is enough? Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Hoarding, comparison, entitlement, overspending. Put people before stuff, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. No, friends, it consists in knowing whose we are and learning to value the people God made us to be, uniquely made you and me to be. Each one of us are called to put people before stuff by seeing that we are called to be the best we can be with what we've been given. Comparison is the death of joy. It will take that right away. We are called to be ourselves. Can I tell you a story from our brother Martin Luther King Jr.? He said this, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo. Paint pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven will pause to say, here lived a street sweeper who swept his job well. That's a tongue twister, I know. Or maybe you're a Bob Dylan fan. I put this in here for you, Jordan. Bob Dylan was famously asked in Rolling Stone magazine about his vocation. He said, mine? It's not different than anybody else's. Some people have a calling to be a good sailor. Some people have a calling to be a good tiller of the soil. Some people are called to be a good friend. You have to be best at whatever you are called at, whatever you do. You ought to be the best at it. And we're the best at it when we're not in it for the money. We're in it for the ways we can help other people. We're in it realizing that God has called us, a certain people, to do a certain thing at a certain time in a certain place. Now, here's a final story for us, folks. It actually happened right here at St. David while I was on vacation. I, I was told this story when I got back. It happened two weeks ago at the food pantry. That's when a woman in the midst of a severe panic attack, emotionally fragile, disoriented, and really freaked out, she was dropped off at our pantry. Somebody just opened the car door. Let her, I mean, I thought it was a hospital or something. Thankfully, one of our volunteers, this is a God thing, one of the volunteers that day, an emergency room doctor. And so this is where this woman should have been taken, of course, this emergency room. But she was dropped off here at St. David's, and that faithful volunteer dropped what he was doing, and him and, and Mike Stutso, they, they started tending this woman's needs. They, they calmed her down. They got her something to wear, clothes on, something to eat, finally getting from her some phone numbers of family members to call and to take care of her. She got five phone numbers from this woman, found out she, she was suffering from severe mental illness, off her medication, certainly had been ill for some time, burned a lot of bridges because when they called those five family members, only one picked up the phone. And the one who picked up the phone said, not my responsibility, not have anything to do with her, you handle it. Which we said, we're not a hospital, we're just a church. And hung up. Well, what did, what did Mike do? Had a lot of work to do, closed down food pantry. That's it. We're going to devote the rest of the morning calling the Southfield police, getting them over to the church. They responded in a highly professional way. They took her to the hospital where she should have been taken, and they gave her the care and the medication that she needed to, um, to get over this, this episode. What a great example of putting people first. 
Again, the theme of our sermon today, folks, putting people before stuff. Mother Teresa once said that there's always a danger that we may just do the work for the sake of the work. This is where the respect and love and devotion come in, that we do it for God, we do it to Jesus, and that's why we try to do it as beautifully as possible. So friends, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. It's sneaky. It's trying to get us. Put people before stuff, do the work for the sake of the work, and there we will find our greater reward. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.